Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, a stress relief coach, speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast, reminding you to go to mightyparenting.com and grab your free email series on how to talk to your teen. There's simple steps that parents are telling me are making a big change in the way they communicate with and their relationship with their teenagers. So pop on over and grab that. And today we are chatting with Cassandra Lane. Cassandra wrote the book, We Are Bridges, which is a memoir about her family's history and the upheavals all the way back to her great-grandparents, Mary Magdalene McGee and Burt Bridges, and their life in the early 20th century South. So we're going to be exploring all kinds of things today. We're going to be exploring parenting and history and important aspects of raising our children. Cassandra, thank you so much and welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thank you, Sandy. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. I am too. I really enjoyed the chat that we had before and your book, it was so good. I really enjoyed reading that and it's awkward sometimes for me to use the word enjoy around that because so much of your family's history was so painful and so difficult, but you wrote about it beautifully. And I learned so much reading it. Why don't we start off? Could you just tell us, I know this is going to be really hard, but kind of in a nutshell, could you tell us a little about your current family and your family's history? Yeah, so my current, thank you so much, first of all, for um, your words about the book. It it is heavy, um, but I worked so hard to try to craft it uh, in a way that would be palatable to readers. So that's really affirming. Thank you. Um, My current family, so in the household right now uh, are myself, my son, who's 14, newly 14, going on 40. <laughs> and my husband, my second husband, um, who has two, so I have two bonus sons. He has two uh, adult sons from his first marriage. Um, and they live in other parts of the country, but that's the current family situation. And then I'm originally from the South, from Louisiana. The book looks at that history Um because I had moved from Louisiana for the first time to Los Angeles at 30. And I was doing a lot of self-work, therapy, journaling, trying to figure out why I was the way I was. And I was really looking at um, issues around romance and race and broken romance, marriage, um, and how all of those things intertwined. And I thought back to my family history as far back as we could trace on my maternal side, which were my great grandparents that you mentioned. And unfortunately, that was a tragic story. My great grandfather, Bert Bridges, was lynched around 1904. And I remember the love of his life, great grandma Mary, very well, because she, I lived in the house uh, where she also moved. After my mother's divorce, we lived, moved in with her parents and great grandma Mary also moved in because she was in her nineties, getting too old to take care of her own home and farm. And I grew up in this really rich multi-generational household. And I have memories of grandma Mary shooing away ghosts 
Um, I was very confused as a kid. What is she doing? What, who is she talking to? Uh, but as I, as an adult, I started looking back at those, those people and um, what was haunting gran uh, Grandma Mary and how had that tragedy impacted not only her and her son, my grandfather, but the ensuing generations. So the book wrestles with that history, which is very painful. Um, and it weaves in my contemporary story of becoming a mother. Um, yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell. It's about a lot of things, but it's in a nutshell about weaving those two, that historical story together with my contemporary story of becoming a mother, looking for love, um, self-identity, all of that. And there is, there's so much there and so much more that we started to touch on in our own personal conversations. Mm -hmm. And so I know we can't cover everything from there in the podcast today. I think I'd like to start with this historical aspect. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of multi-generational households. Mm -hmm. um, my own household growing up was not that, but I had other family members who had a little bit of that. And while in my family, we don't necessarily live in the same household, we have lots of interaction amongst the generations and lots of help and support as people age and things. And, and I know that that for me as a child growing up was wonderful. I know that as a mom, I have so much appreciation for those experiences for my kids. Absolutely. I would love to hear your thoughts around multi-generational experiences for our kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm able to contrast it now with my son because we're almost 2000 miles away from my family, original family, and he doesn't have that. Um, and so I see the impact of that lack, that gap in his life. He loves, loves um, his grandmother, my mother, he taught her how to download Google, you know, on his duo on her phone. And so he's, he wants to see her, he wants to go visit as much as possible. And so I see that yearning um, for foundation and family in him. Uh, and it makes me appreciate my childhood that much more, because I didn't have those questions. I took for granted that I had my grandparents, you know, right there in the same household and great grandma Mary until I was 11. Um, she died when I was 11. And I just remember their stories, um, the way they spoke. I wish, wish, wish someone had recorded them um, because their speech was so unique. My grandmother's humming and chants. I got to see her making, you know, her quilts. Cooking. She taught me how to cook. My mother was a you know, single mother after the divorce and always working really hard. Um, and so we were mostly with after school with my grandmother, following her around. And so she taught me how to cook all of those Southern foods, which at least I'm a bridge with my son and I'm able to cook, you know, in that way, not all the time, because we try to be pretty healthy, but for holidays and things like that. And he just loves it. He loves the idea of Louisiana. He loves the food. The candied yams are his favorite. <laughs> and those are things that I wouldn't have learned, you know, had I not grown up. I mean, I could have found the recipe later, but I learned those things by watching and testing with my grandmother. And so I don't follow recipes now because she didn't. Um, 
you know, was a very uh, spiritual household. Um, my uncles, many of them were were our preachers. My grandma, my mother was, uh, and still is, a gospel guitarist. So we would have, you know, jam sessions in the living room. It was just, it was a revolved. I'll call the front door a revolving door because it was never locked. And everyone from family, we had a huge, we have a huge family, but also just neighbors and other townspeople coming through that front door um, to always sort of get what my grandmother had to offer, whether it was a cup of sugar or flour or some words of advice or prayer. Um, so I just have such a deep appreciation for um, all of those elderly people um, and how those you know, are similar to uh, our, our current lives and, and dissimilar. Uh, it just gives, I think, gives kids a much broader um, understanding of not only their family, but history too. I didn't think about that again until I was later in writing, you know, my grandmother and my grandfather lived through the Great Depression. And, and what did that mean? And what what did that, how did that impact how she, you know, scrimped and scrounged on every little piece of foil, used foil, like all the things that we threw away that she just kept. Um, That's so funny, Sandra, because the foil. My, <laughs> so I, I was unbelievably fortunate. I had all four grandparents and a great grandmother up until college. Mm, that's so nice. And my great grandmother was around, well, she was still alive when both of my children were born. She missed meeting my second daughter by a couple of days. Wow. And, but my grandmother, she also saved the aluminum foil. She has a big <laughs> ball of aluminum foil. Hilarious. And it was the same thing. She would tell me the stories about the Great Depression and how all six kids in the family would be excited when they could share one orange and wow. just, you know, the things that they went through. And I think you're right that that helps shape our kids and their expectations and not their memories, but it's sharing those memories and helping our kids learn from it. And it sounds to me like with your son, you are working at maintaining those connections having him connect with family over distance, bringing your love of all the things you learned and experienced with your family through, through cooking the foods at holidays and things. Are there other ways that come to mind that you try to connect him, whether it's specifically to your family past generations or to other older people or a broader community in a different sense? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, locally we have, um, I would say the church is a, is a place that we're able to easily access, you know, different generations. Um, and I was intent in finding a church home for us. We've moved around a little bit, um, but in each, each town that we've lived in here in LA County, I've tried to find that home because I just think it's so important. So more for him, I think, um, because he needs that larger community. And within the church home, he has access to all of these people, the youth pastor, you know, the elderly woman who talks about how much he's grown every week that she sees him. <laughs> 
Um, and so it's just, no, it's not blood family, but uh, they remind me, some of those, the people in, in the church of people that I grew up with. And um, I'm excited to share those people with him. And they, you know, they love him. They embrace him. Um, they check in to see, you know, when he, like he just culminated eighth grade. And even though it's COVID and we actually, the church just opened back up a, a few weeks ago, but we haven't been yet in person. And, but somebody reached out to me on Instagram DM and said, didn't Solomon just uh, culminate eighth grade? We're celebrating all the graduates, no matter what grade they graduated from. Um, and we want to make sure that he's, uh, that he's acknowledged. And that just made him feel really good. Um, the church is very, it's a contemporary church, but they do also incorporate, you know, traditional songs. And so I'm able to say, hey, that song is something that I heard my grandparents sing. And we've looked up some of the like old Negro spirituals and I've taken, if the church does a, a number, you know, I remember showing him on YouTube a video um, and looking at the words more. So there are there are definitely ways um, to continue to expand on that. Our neighbors, we have some elderly neighbors too, and I try to bring in some of that old southern, um, some of those old southern, just habits where you know this is what you you honor the elderly, you let them through the door first, you ask them how they're doing, you introduce yourself. And those are kind of old fashioned ideals, but I just think that some of those things are good, just good foundational building blocks for all of our kids, no, ma no matter where they are. Um, and then one more place that I that came to mind is just when he's studying, you know, history, he loves history. And there have been points um, in his studies where I'm able to connect that to our family back in Louisiana, Mississippi, um, and just make it a little bit more personal for him. Well, I think that makes a big difference. And I know you have talked about your book being a blueprint for your children's future. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? You know, I love that. My public, my publishers came up with that in their marketing copy and I, I loved it. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is exactly kind of what it is. I think what it means to me is that here we were another, you know, Black American family torn from our uh, roots, not having much to go on, not being able to trace um, our ancestry back that far. Um, and I was determined, especially once I became a mom, or was was pregnant to find out as much as I could. Um, and then when I hit those roadblocks to still create something of substance. No, I don't have a lot of wealth. I don't have, you know, inheritance. I don't have um, land and that kind of thing to give to, to my, to pass on to my child. But I do have these memories. Um, and, and despite that there are gaps, I can try to make something beautiful out of this. Um, and so the book became that blueprint, I believe, um, for me. And he's super, he hasn't finished reading it yet, but he's super excited about the fact that it just exists. And I think it's something hopefully as he gets older that he'll appreciate even more. Um, and that's maybe something, if he has kids, something that he can pass down. So I think that's it, just creating some sort of um, metaphorical 
bridge blueprint um, inheritance to be passed down to say, yes, these people existed, even though there may not be documents, even though there are so many gaps, even though there was a lynching, they existed, they mattered, and here's proof. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, in a way, it's telling him he matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I think also it, it ties back to this, this connection factor that we've talked about through sharing the stories and the foods and the traditions. You mentioned the idea of you wish that you had recordings of people yeah. speaking. And I just want to encourage all of us as parents. I know I've thought about it and then I don't go through with it and do it. We have all these computers and phones, you know, just set it to record exactly. and sit down and talk to our family members about the stories, the yeah. stories of when they were growing up. Again, I mentioned, you know, I had grandparents, my grand, my maternal grandmother, my paternal grandfather were alive up until my children were in elementary school. So they, we went regularly for, we were fortunate to live close by and we went regularly and visited and so my kids heard those stories coming from them and they don't remember the exact story, but I bring things up and then it starts to remind them and it gives them that connection because like you as ours is a little different, but just as our family's grown and expanded and moved out from that central point of the, the generation who, who sailed here from Europe, who, you know, mm -hmm. who escaped whatever was happening in their homelands mm -hmm. to come here the family's gotten bigger. And so my kids, like you, they don't have that expanded uh, family to see, to visit, to be connecting with in the same way that I did. And, and I think that's a lack that I feel, and sometimes they do too, but doing things like recording those stories or writing them down. If you don't want to do it by audio, write it down or you know, we can do videos, we can do all kinds of things, but yeah. sometimes I think we make it more complicated. And so we just don't I'm right. like, have to do is put this Yeti mic on the table and, mm -hmm. and let people talk. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And they, you know, sometimes our, our seniors don't know that we're interested. And I just think that in so many cases that that would make them feel good. Um, I don't know. It's just, we have to ask, of course you have to ask permission, but once you set it up to, to record and, and ask a few questions, I bet in most cases, the stories are just gonna start flooding. <laughs> um, and I've heard my son, I've overheard my son on the phone with both of his grandmothers, my husband's mother as well, you know, asking, you know, what were you doing? Something would be something that he's studying in history. What were you doing during the civil rights movement? Um, or do you remember, did you wear, did you have an Afro? Did you ever wear an Afro? Just, he's just curious about history. And then he turns the lens on the people that he knows, um, which only goes back as far as his grandparents. And, but he's curious as to what they were doing during that time period. And I just think that's so cute and so interesting. And I'm gonna ask him to, encourage him to record too on some of those conversations. Yeah. And I think it's important to have those conversations. As you say, he's like, okay, where were you during the civil rights movement? What was your experience of that? Absolutely. To yeah. similarly, I, I mean, this is, this is a whole different issue and we'll, we'll go back to that in a minute, but it's, it is a moment of, it's, it's a time of struggle. It is a time 
of difficulty. It is a time of fear, like you talked about, you know, making it through the depression. Mm-hmm. That was a time of struggle. That was a time of fear. And hearing what our family members did to survive that is important. And I also just wanted to take a moment to say, sometimes you, you and I are fortunate that we have these deep family roots to draw from. Sometimes we don't have that. And that's okay too. Absolutely. Work with what you have. Mm-hmm. I mean, sit down and record your own stories. You know, just... I know our family at Christmas time, when we're decorating our tree, we have all these ornaments from different places we've been or things we've done or people have given us. And we're always telling stories. Again, just set up a microphone and let it record that because that might be the, that might not be the past right now, but it will be soon. Absolutely. That's a great point, Sandy, because we do have to, some people are completely estranged from their families or they never knew their families. Um, And so, you know, recording what they feel about whatever they do remember from childhood, I think it's still such an important part of their historical um, record in the making. Which makes me wonder, what was it like for you, Cassandra, uncovering your family's history, especially such a painful one? Yeah, so the first time I heard about my great-grandfather's lynching would have been when I was still at home, but I, as a child, but I didn't really understand. I just, I remember my grandfather, um, my mother's father crying uh, about his father and this, but he would cry about a lot of things. Um, (laughs) And this would have been in the probably late 70s, um, early 80s after he was forced to retire from, he was a lumberjack and he was forced to retire from the woods. He had cataracts and he tried to hold on as long as he could. Um, But he would eat his breakfast and eventually make his way to his old recliner. And um, I was always hanging or snooping around the the old people and not playing with my siblings and the kids in the neighborhood. I just was fascinated by the elderly people. Um, but he would sit there, he would reminisce about the past and eventually he'd work himself up into this emotional frenzy about the past, things that had happened to him, um, injustices, and then it would inevitably always come back to the fact that the white people lynched his father. Um, and I did, I was so confused as to why this man in his eighties was crying about something that happened so long ago. Um, And then I didn't think about it that much as a teenager. Probably the next time I thought about it was in college. I remember, I think my sophomore year, hearing uh, a recording of Billie Holiday singing Strange Fruit. And I was haunted by that song. I just listened to it over and over and over again. And I think the reason was because it wasn't just a song. It wasn't just history. It was my own family's history. And it was something that had been lasting and impacted my fa- my grandfather. Um, and by that time, I lost my grandfather while I was in college. Um, so it just took on a new meaning. And then once I started, once I graduated and became a reporter and telling you know, so many contemporary stories, um, I started again, thinking about why are we, no matter who we are, um, the way we are in, in today's, um, in our lives today. And, and those lives are not separated from the lives of the generation and the generations before us. So uh, that's when I started looking at trying to find whatever I could. And I started with my mother and my uncle Cricket 
who knew the most information. And um, yeah, it was devastating, but then I was haunted and obsessed by it. Well, the song, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes as well, because I think everybody needs to listen to that and ponder it. I know I watched the Billie Holiday movie after I read oh, your book, yeah. oh, and yeah. that was so interesting as well. Mm-hmm. So you, as you were uncovering this, it sounds like it was kind of this mixture of confusion, difficult, painful, but freeing in a sense. Mm. yeah freeing I would say yeah that's interesting freeing in the sense that I can put my finger on something yeah to kind of at least if not explain then then at least reflect on why things are the way they are Mm -hmm. Um, I think yeah freeing in that sense that I could say this isn't the whole story but this is one very you know impactful powerful thing that um, happened and despite you know that's out beyond that's outside of slavery and whatever else happened this is something that happened in my mind in recent history because again I remember great grandma Mary she I ate her food I I touched her skin I I listened to her talking and showing away ghosts so all of that is inside of me I carry that inside of me Um, and so having knowing at least that part of my history was something to, to start, it was a starting point. So yeah, freeing in, in that way. Well, and you've talked about here, you, you mentioned your, your grandfather crying about this event in the book, you detail how that event passed down through the generations. And that's something that is true. There, there is generational trauma that happens in families. So even more reason that we need to talk to our kids and not just share the fun and good and happy stories, but we need to share all the stories. Let's see, you had, this was a quote too that you had that, oh, you said, the more folks bury a thing, the more they sweep it under the rug, the bigger it becomes, the filthier it becomes, the more it demands to be raised. Yes. Yes, I absolutely believe that. Um, and I think in that same section, I might have been talking about my grandmother, um, who, you know, was always honest about chores, and she was always cleaning. I just remember always quilting or cleaning or cooking. <laughs> um, and we didn't, I didn't love chores. I didn't love sleeping. And there was one day where she lifted the rug and showed me where I hadn't, you know, I hadn't been sleeping under lifting the rugs and sleeping under the rugs. And so there was all of this dirt collected in that and that for me as I was writing became a metaphor like yeah we cannot we cannot hide the parts of the past that are painful um, even if we think that we're protecting ourselves and our children because that that stuff is going to rear its ugly head later Um, that's my philosophy I know that not everyone believes that not even in my own family but um, I, I definitely think trauma the word trauma just means wound um, mm-hmm. And if a wound is not taken care of, it becomes that much more dangerous. It does. And one of the things in trauma training that they teach you is if, if you are speaking to someone who has been through a disaster or you know maybe they're in the midst of a natural disaster or something like that, offer them the opportunity to talk about what happened. Don't force it, but yeah. offer it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, 
ask them, okay, what happened to you? And then after they've talked for a little while, ask them, when did you know that you survived it? Wow. And I like to put that question to you, Cassandra, when did you, in studying your family, when did you know that you or your family had survived this trauma that happened to your family? Wow. I've never even thought about, about that. Um, I think, and this is probably what you'll have to edit this because I'm thinking about that. <laughs> Take your time. Yeah. I would have to say that I subconsciously knew because we're all here, you know, that I have tons, I have myself, five siblings, um, four on my mom's side, and then I have a brother uh, on my dad's side with another wife. And my cousins and my uncles and um, second cousins and third cousins. So in that sense, clearly we survived, clearly Bird Bridges and Mary Magdalene McGee live on through all of us. Um, but I think I didn't appreciate my, appreciate my own survival and resilience. I don't think I really came to terms with that until I, one, left Louisiana and saw myself thriving and surviving in a new place where there was no blood family, even though I was still searching for who I was. I was making it. I was, you know, being successful in my career. I was exploring, meeting new people. So that definitely was affirming, um, it, even though I was still dealing with, with different things emotionally, psychologically. I was, I was getting through my days. I was having fun. I was... Um, I was moving up the ladder in this big city in, in some ways. Um, so in that way, I would say that I appreciated everything that you know everyone had been through in terms of survival, in terms of not just survival, but thriving and having fun and joy. I love friends. I love joy, having fun, traveling, food, eating out. Um, so at, at some point in the middle of doing all of that, I would say I, I could appreciate my survival. Um, and then becoming pregnant again, I was determined in a much larger way to heal old wounds, um, not just for myself, but for my coming child. And they are some big wounds. I, race is, is an issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's an issue internationally, but it is a huge issue here in the US and I think there's so much that's been happening that is, is good around that in the last year or so, just in terms of conversations and more understanding. And so I'd like to know, Cassandra, what, what you might want to share with other parents and, and it might be different messages for white parents or black parents or parents of colored kids that you know might be interracial families mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i think starting there what we've been talking about in terms of history is a good you know individual family history is a good place to start and if you're from a family i've heard so many times since this book came out from um people who are you know different ethnicities uh, asian black white 
that there is so, so much silence. And the book looks at that so much, the, the suppression, the silence around, around trauma. Um, and I just think that we, if we're looking to connect to our kids and we're looking to heal those wounds, it's on us. Even if we were dealing with a family that were, was hush-hush, didn't want to talk about things, we can change that dynamic. We can start talking to our children. Um, so it starts ta in talking about your own family history, but then how did your family, your particular family, impact you know families of other ethnicities? Um, I'm in my book. I'm writing about you know my great grandfather's lynching. Um, again, for me, that really wasn't that long ago, and so some of my contemporaries look at their own family histories and see and ask questions or maybe there are things that they even know that their ancestors did um, and if it's something that you're not proud of if, if your ancestor created an atrocity even to another human being um, I don't think we're protecting our kids from not talking about those things because again all of that history is connected to our present day we have today what a lot of us are calling modern day lynchings um, I, our kids are so confused. So if we're able to paint a big, bigger picture for, for our kids, not just something that they're reading in their textbooks, but something that is very real and tangible to them, things that happen in their bloodline, I think they'll have, like we can when we do that work for ourselves, those aha moments. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I don't think our kids are demanding that we're saints and, and that our, that their ancestors are saints. I just, I don't think our kids ever ask for that. And so we just have to give them the benefit of the doubt that they can handle, you know, at age appropriate, age appropriate material that they can handle the truth, whatever that truth is. Yeah, even just, I think everything, like you said, yes, there might be an atrocity, but there might be even just small comments that are made. Yeah. And those are things yeah. that are very easy to brush under the rug rather than having the conversation, mm -hmm. especially if it's something like, you know, a beloved grandparent of theirs mm -hmm. or a great grandparent of theirs Absolutely. has made a comment. Mm -hmm. It's an important conversation to have. Well, what did they say, honey? What did you hear? What do you think of that? Why do you think they might've said that? Do you think that that is right or wrong? Mm -hmm. How can we change that? That was another, I'm, I'm reading the Paris apartment by Kelly Bowen. Mm -hmm. And this is World War II. And the it's a French woman who is fighting against the Nazis in the war. And she was asked to step up and do more. Or asked she was offered the opportunity to step up and do more. And it was a friend. And so he's cautioning her on how how dangerous this can be. And she said, and this is the quote that I really appreciated, that I think applies very much. To, we need to apply this to racism mm -hmm. says, if I am not fighting if I am not doing, I'm sorry, if I am not fighting, if I am not doing everything I am capable of, then I am complicit in every atrocity that has happened and will continue to happen. Wow. And Absolutely. pairing that with your thought about things getting swept under the rug really struck me. Mm, wow. it's very easy to go, well, this is a little thing, or mm -hmm. I'm not doing something. I didn't do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, when we don't exactly. speak up, we are complicit. 
Absolutely. Because those little things add up to become big things. Um, you know, actions start with thoughts, we're told. So, and then thoughts are, are words and words become deeds. So, yeah. And, 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 and raising children who even who are confident, they know the history and they're bold, even sometimes bold enough to perhaps confront uh, a, a beloved grandparent about a, a remark that they find offensive. I think that's also good parenting. And I think we can do that. And I think what we talk about here at Mighty Parenting with us talking with our teens and 20 somethings and working with them as we talk about asking questions. Mm -hmm. And a few minutes ago, even when I was talking about this example of a grandparent saying something, I was just asking our child questions and we can be modeling and encouraging them to use that format, not to jump in and attack people, but to ask those questions yeah. and get people thinking mm -hmm. and thinking about things they're saying and then sharing some of the information and the sources that we've been learning from. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. To do it in love, to do it in and respect and compassion, um, even if you don't feel that that maybe was necessarily the way the person said something. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good point that we can offer that to our kids, train our kids, um, teaching our kids, you know, exposing our kids to the art of debate and putting them in. My son right now is in Breadmasters, uh, kind of a Toastmasters for teens, uh, and he he confronts my husband and, and myself about things that he thinks, you know, are contradictions or he just does not let us off the hook. And I appreciate that so much because I would have been, I, didn't, I wouldn't have even known how to start a conversation with an adult in my childhood in that way. Um, that was not, you know, in total agreement of whatever they were saying. And we, there was a lot of, you know, admonishing about backtalk and so I just never would have openly disagreed with an adult or reminded an adult that they were doing something that they said that they didn't believe. <laughs> but he doesn't do that. He's very much like, and not, and not in a disrespectful way, but just like he's very curious. He's very probing. Um, and, but he, you know, he loves us to death. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, how do we create safe environments, cultivate safe environments so that our kids can love us? Yes, but also challenge us. <laughs> yes. And I hope that's what we've been teaching here on Mighty Parenting as, you know, as we listen to shows and talk with all these different experts. And I'm also going to link to another show because the next step beyond, I think what we've just talked about would be in resistance. And we did a, an episode with the author of We Are Power. And I love it. It's actually a middle school age. Uh, the book is directed toward middle school students, but it's one chapter on different issues that have happened, you know, the women's suffrage and the civil rights movement. And it goes through and shows how we can have passive resistance that makes change. Oh, I love that. I'm going to get that. Yeah. So I'll link that in the show notes for everybody as well, because I found that gave me great fodder for conversations with my girls too. And it, it opened my eyes to things I didn't know. I didn't realize exactly how much women had given up mm 
mm. in the women's suffrage movement to get us the right to vote. And we've had a lot of conversations around that as well as all kinds of things. There, there are many movements I didn't even know about, right? So it just, it opens, it opens that door to us going, okay, who are we? What do we believe in? Which goes back to this idea of history and family history and making those connections and going, where do we come from? Who is our family? And that doesn't mean that we have to agree with what our family did. Right. But to right. have, again, it opens those conversations to say, well, this is what our ancestors did. This is what the, how they demonstrated who they are. Do we agree with that? Are we the same? Do we right. want to be different than how do we let our actions and our words speak differently about us? Or yes, we, we love these morals, these ideas, these values that our family's been building on. How do we expand and continue to build on that? Those are the mighty parenting conversations we want to be having right. with our teens, helping them think about and explore who they are, where they've come from, which is going to shape so much of what's happened in, in having some, having some compassion and understanding for ourselves and them. If your families come through traumatic circumstances, we'll be getting in, we have some trauma episodes that are being sprinkled in. So keep an eye out for those because all of that does, does come into this. And Cassandra, it's like I said, you did a beautiful job in the book of blending all these, all these different things, all these different ideas. And uh, I really appreciate the work that you've done there. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you. I would love if you would share with our Mighty, Parent Mighty Parenting community where we can find you online. Absolutely. The easiest place is CassandraLane.net, um, all about the book, uh, as well as um, different articles, excerpts, all of that's on there. On social media, on Twitter, I'm at CassLaneWrites. And on Instagram, at, I'm at Cassandra.Lane71. Well, thank you again for joining us today, Cassandra. I, your candid sharing has been really appreciated. Oh, thank you so much, Sandy. This was truly, it was deep, it was fulfilling, and um, it gave me some homework to do for my parenting. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and mighty parents thank you for being here i'm just asking if you would share this podcast with at least one other parent uh, we're creating a movement we're making a safe space for parents to be able to learn and grow and raise resilient adults who are able to be strong healthy, emotionally healthy, caring people in the world. So share that with them, pop over and grab the free email series on mightyparenting.com. And just remember that you're here, you're listening, you're doing this, you are a mighty parent. You've got this and I will see you next week. <laughs>